Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 19, and considering the subject of Abraham, the father of believers. But for this morning, we're just going to read verses 8, 9, and 10 of our text. Verse 8 says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Remember we said in this series that we're looking at in uh, the subject of living by faith, following our theme for 2018, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1, 2, and 3 deal with the, uh, the matter of uh, the excellence of faith. Chapter 11, verses 4 through 31 deal with the examples of faith. And verses 32 through 40 deal with the epilogue or the conclusion of faith. And here, considering Abraham, as we move along in these different characters, identified here in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, we said there are five aspects of the faith of Abraham that we'd like to touch on in this series of messages about him. And we've already looked at two in verse 8. We see that uh, Abraham had a listening faith because he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance. He obeyed. And then also we saw that he had a leaving faith last Sunday morning that he went out not knowing whither he went. And that brings us now to the next two aspects of the faith of Abraham that we'll consider this morning. We see in verse 9, Abraham had a living faith. And then in verse 10, he had a looking faith. So as we consider these thoughts this morning, I trust that God might help us to recognize the importance of this example that Abraham left for us in this passage of scripture. Again, verse 9 says, By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Another standard of faith mentioned here seems to be somewhat at odds with the first that we considered. See, Abraham was willing to give up uh, uh, what he had in his homeland, his friends, his business, his religion, if you will, and everything. And he wasted no time in putting all that behind him and leaving his country behind, went toward or headed toward a land that God would show him. But now... By faith, he also has to spend time waiting and being patient. So when God said to go, he went, but now he finds himself in a situation where he must stand by and wait on the Lord. That certainly is a message that we see in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Two things we notice about Abraham here in verse 9 is it says, By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, and then later on, as in a strange country. So it identifies how he waited on the Lord. See, the decision Abraham made to leave his country would would be one that he would have to live with for the rest of his life. And uh, 
The word sojourned here, it's interesting. He's left now his homeland behind, the Ur of the Chaldees. He's made his way on this long journey to the promised land. Now he finds himself here and he's waiting for God's, well, God's timing in fulfilling his promise. Uh, you see, the word sojourned here means to reside as a foreigner or to be a stranger. He lived among people different than himself And he lived in a land unlike his own homeland. It's interesting. We see that Abraham knew that he was looking for something that ultimately would not be found there. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But we're reminded by Abraham's example that as believers, we are pilgrims and strangers in this world. It's sad to say, though, that many Christians seem to have become comfortable in settling down, if you will, in this life and in this world. But Paul said we are to be a peculiar people. Titus 2.14 says, Who gave himself for us, speaking of our Lord, in his sacrificial uh, act of, uh, on the cross, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works." Peculiar. We are to be a people set aside specifically for the purpose of worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ and honoring him. In other words, we're to be different from the world. But instead of being peculiar people, many Christians find themselves becoming partners with the world. Peter warned against uh, warned about this and when he said we're to be strangers. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 1 says Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, identifying Christians as strangers. In, temp- in chapter 2, uh, verse 11 of that same book, he said, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And Paul reminded us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. See, Abraham recognized that even though he had reached the promised land, there was something more God had in store for him. And for every one of us as Christians, we need to be reminded that God has much more in store for us than we, what we might obtain or possess in this life and in this world. If you would, please turn over to the book of John, John chapter 17 for just a moment. I'd like you to notice something that Jesus says uh, himself about this matter. You see, instead of um, being strangers, many Christians end up becoming settlers. And Abraham lived in the land of Canaan, but you know, he never settled down there. While you're turning, let me go ahead and point this out. Abraham never built a house, a home in the land of Canaan. This was the promised land. This was the land that God said, I'm going to give to you, and I'm going to give to your ancestors, and everywhere your feet touch will be yours. We, of course, refer to this now as the land of Israel. The country of Israel, as it is today, covers more than 8,000 square miles. But in all that land, Abraham never built a house. Did you know that he did not own any property in the promised land except 
for one small plot that he bought from uh, brought in the uh, uh, the cave of Machpelah, and that was to be a burial site for his wife Sarah. That's the only land he owned. So it's interesting. God promised him the land, and even though he lived there, he didn't possess it. We're going to come back to that thought in just a moment. But uh, here in John chapter 17, verse 11, uh, verses 11 through 16, actually, I'd like you to see this. He says, and now I am no more in the world. Now, again, for the context here, this is the great um, high priestly prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ prior to his being crucified. Uh, He's praying in the the Garden of Gethsemane, getting ready. Uh, He knows he's going to be arrested shortly. But he's entered into this lengthy prayer with his heavenly father and said i'm no more in the world but these are in the world these refers to his followers and he said i come to thee holy father keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me that they may be one as we are while i was with them in the world i kept them in thy name those that thou gavest me i have kept And none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And that's referring to Judas Iscariot. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that the world should keep them, uh, excuse me, but thou should keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Here our Lord is emphasizing in his prayer the contrast, if you will, or the difference for those of us who are believers. We live in this world, but we are not of this world, meaning we're not to pattern our lives after this world system. We're not to follow the ideologies, the philosophies, the teachings of the world. We are supposed to follow Christ. We have a home elsewhere that we're going to be talking about in just a moment. But here our Lord is emphasizing the fact that even though we are in, we're living in the world, we're not to live according to the ways of this world. We are expected as believers, in fact, we are commanded in Scripture to live differently than the people of this world. Let me stop and right here and say that doesn't mean we're better than anybody else. This idea that Christians are better than those of other religions, that's not the case at all. Every one of us are nothing more than sinners saved by the grace of God. We have been redeemed through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and are a part of his family, his fold, because Jesus Christ died for us and we had the privilege of hearing that gospel message, repenting of our sin and receiving Jesus Christ as our Savior. Be it clear that that doesn't make us better than anybody else. It makes us better off than others because we have 
eternal life. Every one of us who know Christ as Savior, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, and we have the assurance that one day we will be in heaven with the Lord. That places us in a much better stance than one who does not know Christ as his or her Savior and has no assurance of going to heaven. But here we see that Jesus is saying, you're in the world, but you're not to live according to the ways and the ideas and the teachings and the philosophies of the world. This Abraham recognized. Somehow, by God's divine intervention, Abraham understood that he was in a world, a land different than his own, and he needed to live accordingly. You see, Abraham was a monotheist. He believed in one God. The land that he was living in, the people among whom he sojourned and resided, they were polytheists. They believed in many gods. We know folks today, they can believe in whoever they want as a god. But we as Christians, we acknowledge the one true God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, the Holy Triune God, who is our Lord. And thank God that Abraham recognized that even though he lived in that land, there was to be something different about him. And the scripture talks about how he sojourned. He lived... Not only himself, but with his son and his grandson, or his descendants there, they lived in tents. And they were in that land as pilgrims. Certainly, that's an example for us that we should follow, recognizing that we are merely pilgrims and strangers in this world. But not only that, uh, it talks about uh, how he lived, but it talks about where he lived. In the land of promise, verse 9 says, We refer to this land as the promised land, the land that was promised to Abraham when he left and God said, I'm going to show you a land, I'm going to take you there and that will be yours and your descendants. But uh, this verse indicates that he lived as a stranger. So we can assume that that promise refers to something more than just physical land and physical possessions. As I mentioned, he never owned any land other than the burial place for his wife. He never built a house. He chose to live in tents uh, with, uh, along with Isaac and Jacob. They were heirs of the same promise, but they as well followed that example. They were content to dwell in tents, this verse tells us. They had no fixed habitation. This is a classic example of, of the uh, life of faith, if you will. God gave Abraham a promise, but Abraham had to wait for God to fulfill that promise completely. He got him to the land, but the time of possession had not yet taken place. Even though he lived there, he didn't own it. And what's interesting is it would be more than 500 years later before the children of Israel could lay claim to this promise that that would be the land of their inheritance. You see, this is a picture of the already but not yet character of the life of faith. He was already in the land, in the land, but it was not yet his. He had already gotten to where God told him to go, but he had not yet obtained the promise, if you will. Well, that's the same for us as believers. Already, but not yet. We're already in the body of Christ. We are already seated together with Christ in heavenly places, according to the book of Ephesians. But not yet. We're here. We have the promise of eternal life. 
And we will obtain that eternal life. We shall be the consummation of that eternal life when we leave this world and enter into glory. The Bible tells us that we're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. The Bible tells us that the mortal will put on immortality and we will be like Christ. That promise we have right now. But we haven't been able to possess it yet because we're still in this body of clay. One day we will. You see, we have eternal life. But in this life, we're still yet subject to death. Every one of us will pass from this life to the next, either through the avenue of death or the rapture. And I believe for us it'll be the rapture. But whatever the case, God may choose to take us home through that avenue of physical death, physical separation from this life. But we will enter into our eternal rest. The book of Hebrews tells us elsewhere. That is a promise that we have now, but yet we have not yet been able to grasp and claim. That really is the essence of what we see in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, where the scripture says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. We've not seen heaven, even though it is our home. That is the land of our promise, our promised land, if you will. We will one day enter into the, the, uh, the uh, heavenly city. We'll have an opportunity to walk the streets of gold we'll have it have the joy of seeing christ face to face as we sing in, in our hymnal but until then we're still bound by this body and must walk by faith abraham knew and understand that and what's interesting is that he accepted it by faith you see time is of far greater importance to us than it is the Lord. I mentioned just a moment ago, it would be more than 500 years before God would complete this promise to Israel and they would enter into the promised land as their inheritance. You know, 500 years to the Lord is nothing. (laughs) To us, it's almost an eternity. I mean, you think about it, our nation is only a little over 200 years old. You're talking about more than two and a, almost two and a half times that for this period of time for this promise to be fulfilled. But yet, Abraham faithfully waited for that which was most valuable. He waited long years for the son of promise, Isaac, and yet God gave him a son. He waited many years uh, for this land of promise. And yet it wasn't given to him. What's interesting to keep in mind, we've already looked at the life of Noah. God told Noah to build an ark. And he spent all those decades building. He waited 120 years. God said, build an ark. I'm going to send judgment. And I'm going to go ahead and spare your family. So Noah did that. But he had to wait 120 years for God to fulfill that promise. But it happened in his lifetime. No, uh, excuse me, Abraham, he lived to be 175 and never saw the fulfillment of that promise. Does that mean God failed? No. God, according to his time, chose to complete or fulfill that promise based on what was best for his plan for his 
coming people. You see, the Lord chooses to work in our lives according to his timetable. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Let me illustrate it this way. If we knew the Lord was coming back on April 15th, April 15th for a lot of folks is tax day. I mean, they're working toward getting that. But if we knew the Lord was coming back on April 15th, do you think you would find it within yourself to live a holy, godly, separated life and do your best every day to honor God and to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ between now and April 15th? Oh, absolutely. We knew. I mean, it wouldn't be that difficult to make up, make up our minds that for a little more than 30 days, for about 40 days, we're going to diligently live for God every day because, after all, He's coming again. The problem is we don't know He's coming April 15th. He may come today. Oh, blessed thought. He may come today. But He may not come till next year or the year after. See, Paul when he met with the Thessalonians there in the church, uh, in, in the city of Thessalonica, in just a few short weeks, he established a church before moving on. He told those people that if they trusted Christ as their Savior, they were going to have eternal life. Well, some of those folks became troubled because even though they accepted Christ as Savior, some of them started dying. Some of them passed from this life to the next, and it caused them great distress So Paul wrote back and explained to them, I'm not talking merely about physical death, but I'm talking about eternal life compared to eternal death. And the fact that you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you can be assured that you will live forever with Christ. And he gave us that great passage of Scripture talking about how uh, the trump shall sound and the dead in Christ shall rise first that we that are alive uh, and remain shall be caught up to them together in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. He sent those great words of encouragement to them to help them to understand the difference between physical death and eternal death. And what a joy to know that through God's word, he provided instruction to them that they might better understand the plan and promise of God. You know, God works, as I said, according to his timetable. Galatians 4.4 tells us in the fullness of time, God sent forth, sent forth his son, made of a woman, made unto the law, under the law. When, when everything was ready, God allowed his son, Jesus Christ, to be born into this world to thus set in motion God's plan of salvation for all mankind. A lot of times we just don't like waiting on God, do we? James chapter 5 verse 7 says, Be patient therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. All we need to be faithful The Lord is coming again, whether he comes today, next week, next month, next year, or another decade from now. It will be according to his good uh, pleasure, but we need to be faithful. 
You think of William Carey. He spent 35 years laboring for the Lord in India. And during his lifetime, he only saw a handful of converts. Yet every Christian missionary who has ever gone to India since that time owes a debt to William Carey. He planted so that they could harvest. He translated the word of God into Indian dialects so that virtually all missionary effort in India has been based to some extent on his pioneer work. Most of the fruits of his labor he saw only by faith. We as individuals place far too much stock in physical accomplishments and physical abilities. God expects us to be faithful in every aspect of our lives. He wants us to sow. The scripture says some sow, some water. But God gives the increase. God will accomplish his will through us according to his good pleasure. Things don't always work out the way we want them to. They don't always happen when we want them to. But God will accomplish his will in and through uh, the life of his saints. Dr. Arthur Pearson once told of being alone in the study uh, of that great man of faith, George Mueller. Thinking it would be a good time uh, to look at the great man's Bible, he opened it and was thumbing through the pages when he came to a verse in the book of Psalms where it reads, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Opposite in the margin, Mueller had written these notes. And the stops, too. The steps of a good man, as well as the stops of a good man, are ordered by the Lord. Yes, Abraham had a living faith, willing to live where God put him and among the people that God let him live with and to wait on the Lord for him to accomplish his task and his purpose. Then we see also uh, in verse 10, Abraham had a looking faith. You see, the living faith had to do with a temporary dwelling. The looking faith had to do with a permanent home, if you will. For he looked for a city which hath foundations whose builder and maker is God. This verse gives the content of the promise and explains why Abraham was willing to live in Canaan as a stranger. He was looking for an eternal city. He was looking for another home. As I said earlier, he knew that there was something more than just what God had for him there and that's what he was looking for, that city whose builder and maker is God. This city is never described in Scripture until we get to the closing chapters of the last book, the book of Revelation. And there we see what a wonderful city it is that Abraham, by faith, was looking for. Revelation 21, 14, it says, And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Jumping down to verse 19, And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, uh, the fourth emerald, and so on. Hebrews 12.22 says, But ye are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. And then later in Hebrews 13.14, For here have we no continuing city, 
but we seek one to come, that eternal city, that city that has foundations. Foundations represent stability and strength and permanence. A city represented in the Old Testament, a place of permanence and protection. Abraham did not have that benefit while he lived in Palestine. No, he lived in tents, but he was looking for a city which hath foundations. He was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. The builder, the planner, the creator, the maker, the one who establishes and who completes that construction process, if you will. Uh, Again, he was looking for that city that would yet come. Too many of us get overly attached to the things of this life. You see, this idea of him looking for a city is in absolute or complete contrast to his life in Palestine. He lived in a tent, a canvas dwelling that was held to the ground by a stake or a peg. He was looking for something much more permanent than that. And we as well, for nothing in this life can guarantee permanence. People can spend all the time planning, designing, constructing, hurricane-proof, earthquake-proof, tornado-proof buildings, but there is no assurance that man can build a structure that the forces of nature cannot topple. Well, let me say this. There's a city whose builder and maker is God, and nothing can shake that city's foundation. What a wonderful truth. That's the city was Abraham, that Abraham was looking for, and that's the city we should be looking for as well. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. First John chapter 2 warns us, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of the Father abideth forever. You realize everything in this life that we can purchase, that we can possess, is going to one day fade away. The only thing that is eternal is human life. And what a joy to know that God has granted us the great gift of salvation through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I trust that each of us know him as Savior and Lord. I trust that our family members as well have come to know him. This world is going to come to an end one day. And like Abraham, we ought to be looking for that city whose builder and maker is God. That's where we ought to be laying up treasures where moth and rust doth not corrupt, nor thieves break through and steal. That's the place where we ought to be seeking to have eternal rewards. Not in this life. People will spend their entire lives trying to amass great uh, amounts of wealth, trying to build their fortune, trying to broaden their area of influence, trying to add to their level of power and prestige. But all of that's going to one day pass. 
It's been said, only what's done for Christ will last. People spend their time trying to amass great fortunes, but it's all going to go away one day. For us as Christians, we need to set our affections on things above. Like the old songwriter said, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Michael Faraday was a chemist, an electrician, and a philosopher. One day, a distinguished scientist friend of his called on him and put forth this question. He asked, have you conceived to yourself what will be your occupation in the next world? Faraday thought about that for a moment and answered, according to 1 Corinthians 2.9, But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Then he added these words, I shall be with Christ, and that is enough. All that we would find, Christ is enough to satisfy that longing of our heart. If only we as God's children would learn to live for him, but not be conformed by the world around us, and that we would learn the value of looking for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God, looking for that time when he will call us home. We have the promise that we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That is the blessed hope. Amen.